but good morning. I'm Andrew Sharp. Um, occasionally, it's my great privilege to, uh, to preach. Um, it's great to see so many people here on this beautiful mid-April day. Um, I mean, come on, who doesn't like a forecast with ice pellets? You know, it's, I don't even know what ice pellets are. Um, and I'm really struggling to know what God is trying to say to us with this, this weather, but I'm sure there's a reason. Um, we are continuing our series this morning on the Beatitudes. A few weeks ago, Matt mentioned that the, the Beatitudes frequently appear in people's homes, on walls, oftentimes cross-stitched, and indeed in my own household growing up, we had a framed Beatitudes. It was not cross-stitched. I think we just cut it out of a magazine. Um, but I, I remember having it up, and because apparently uh, I did not know how to spell the word beautiful, I thought it was the beautitudes because they seemed like they were beautiful sayings of Jesus. So I, for Matt, he said that to some degree he thinks of them as the beatitudes. The lowest kind of be the beautitudes to me. Um, and uh, indeed when when I first looked at the list and continue to, it does seem to be a listing of the sort of people that we should be in order to be blessed by God. And there are a number of qualities, descriptions of people that appear in the Beatitudes. And some of these are definitely qualities you'd like to see in your children. Blessed are the peacemakers. Yes, I want my kids to be peacemakers. There's a lot of conflict in this world. That'd be awesome. Blessed are the pure in heart. Goodness, yes. This is a corrupt world in so many ways. I want my child to have a pure heart somehow in this, in this world. Blessed are the merciful. Who doesn't want their child to have the quality of mercy? Mercy's in such short supply. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Maybe my child could be a civil rights attorney. These seem like very wonderful things. Blessed are the meek who will inherit the earth. Hold, hold it. Mm, meek? Maybe not that one. No child of mine is going to be meek. I don't want them to let others take advantage of them. It's a tough world. You need to be strong and assertive. We don't want our kids to be meek. You know, that might, that might prompt a parent-teacher meeting, you know, to, to discuss it, you know. Mr. and Mrs. Blanston, thanks for coming in. Um, there's something we need to discuss. I've noticed that, well, when interacting with the other children, Henry is exceedingly meek. Oh, no, he, he seemed like such a, such a happy child. Well, 
Yes, he's, he's happy, I suppose. I mean, as happy as a meek child can be, but <laughs> if, if we don't nip this in the bud, he's never going to be sex, successful in life or even in my class. He, he needs to be assertive and, and competitive. Dear Lord, what can we do? Well, here's a pamphlet with the name of a wonderful therapist who specializes in this sort of thing. And below that, I've written the phone number of a wonderful personal trainer. So, <laughs> so meek has a negative reputation. We, we don't want our, our kids to be meek. We don't want to be meek ourselves. And yet, the Beatitudes tell us that the meek shall inherit the earth. And maybe we think, well, all right. I mean, if you have to go through life being meek, at least there's a payoff at the end. Um, but as we've been discussing the last few weeks, the Sermon on the Mount, wherein we have the Beatitudes, it's Jesus's very profound expression of what it means to flourish as a human being. So how does meekness cause us to flourish? I mean, what, what are we missing there? And I think primarily what we're missing is a proper definition of meekness. And what we often fail to understand is, is that the Beatitudes are not a guide to being happy. It's not a, a to-do list with things that we should aspire to do or be. Rather, Jesus is explaining what God bestows upon each of us when we enter into his kingdom, not just eternally, but in the present life. Let's go Old Testament for a moment. This is not, I'll have lots of rhetorical questions, I think, in this, but this is not one of them. Uh, who in the Old Testament is like the meekest person ever in the Old Testament? I heard Moses, and that is the correct answer. You get 500 barn points, whoever said that. Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter 12, verse 3 reads, Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. What? Moses meek? Charlton Heston? <laughs> I mean, the dude had his anxieties and worries, but he killed a guy. He was oppressing another person, but he killed a guy. He threw down the tablets of the law in anger. He stood up to Pharaoh. He led all those people. So in what sense was Moses meek? As used in the Bible, meekness is, is best understood as humility toward God and toward others. It's having the right or the power to do something, but holding back for the benefit of God or someone else. Meekness is power under control. No one in history modeled meekness more than Jesus. Philippians uh, chapter 2, verses 6 to 8 says, 
Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Being in the very nature God, Jesus had the right and certainly the power to do what he wanted. But for our sake, he submitted to death on a cross. That is the ultimate in meekness. I mean, Jesus was absolutely willing to be confrontational. He called out the scribes and Pharisees. He said inflammatory things, very intentionally inflammatory things. He drove the money changers from the temple. He was anything but timid. If he was timid, he wouldn't have had the following he did or spoken to the thousands of people he spoke to. But he was meek. I think one of the things people struggle with is reconciling sort of the, the meek Jesus with uh, the Jesus who cleansed the temple of the money changers. I just want to touch on that for a moment. John, the, that Jesus cleansing the temple is, is mentioned in all four, four Gospels. Um, so each of the Gospel writers thought it was pretty important. The book of John tells us he fashioned a whip out of cords to drive out both the money changers and the people who sold doves and also drove out the sheep and the cattle. This is one man doing this. Scripture doesn't tell us that the, his disciples sort of joined in with this. They were probably just like shocked. But it certainly doesn't sound like the, the gentle, timid, lamb cradling Jesus that you see in, in pictures and questionable art. But even in this circumstance, Jesus was meek. He, he wasn't exercising this power for his own benefit. He was, he was doing this for God whose temple was being polluted by commerce. Before his arrest in Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours. That is meekness. And the meek are blessed. And they are not blessed because they're timid or quiet or naive or weak. They're blessed because they control those areas of their life where there is power and authority and strength and use that for others and to glorify God. What does it look like when we're that kind of meek? I think we have to consider where it is we have power to control. Do we supervise people at work? Do we interact with the public? Are we parents? Do we have parents? Do we have siblings? Do we verbally interact with other people? Do we have friends? 
virtually every human interaction, whether it's direct or even indirect, involves the exercise of power to some degree. I mean, maybe it's just the power of our words. How do we express our opinions? How do we evaluate the work of others? Parents have to teach and discipline their children. Doing that is an obvious exercise of power. In all the countless ways we engage the world around us, are we doing that with humility and gentleness? Do we find ourselves barking at that waiter who got the order wrong? Or do we laugh it off? Do we snap at our children or do we explain things gently? We all wield power. The question is, when we're doing it, are we honoring God when we do it? So meekness isn't weakness. And Jesus tells us the meek will inherit the earth. What does that mean? I mean, do the meek then go and divide up the earth and even shares and everyone gets a little piece of it? Or do the meek get together and share it as a group? And what happens to everyone else who's not meek? Do the non-meek get evicted? Actually, Isaiah chapter 60 suggests that maybe they do get evicted. That chapter <laughs> describes the restoration of the land to God's people, and the former occupiers are indeed dispossessed. One of the things that always amazes me um, when Jesus, is, Jesus speaks is how frequently what he is saying references scripture. In this beatitude, Jesus is referencing Psalm 37. Verse 11 says, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. And verse 22 of that Psalm says, those blessed by him shall inherit the earth. Now in the context of the Psalm, the land or earth refers to God's covenantal promise to David that he will make the nations, God speaking to David, the nations your inheritance and the end of the earth your possessions. And the idea of inheriting the earth was a Jewish expression that typically characterized a great blessing. It, it referenced the land of Canaan, which was regarded as a kind of heaven on earth. In the Beatitudes, though, Jesus expands that idea to the kingdom of heaven come to earth where we are heirs. So again, I, we need to keep in mind that Jesus in the Beatitudes is not dividing up people by what they'll receive. These are examples of what flourishing looks like. The meek are also the peacemakers. They also mourn and suffer. They are poor in spirit and pure in heart. Jesus is telling us that people who follow him into real life 
are blessed in various ways, and the reward is eternal, but it's also in the here and now. So when we think of an inheritance of the earth, or of the land, as some texts translated, we can't view it narrowly. Jesus is telling us that people who follow him into real life are deeply satisfied in various ways, and that reward is both eternal and in the here and now. In the excellent theological film, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, (laughs) there is a scene where there's a king in a palace tower with his son. And he walks with his son towards the window, beyond which his vast kingdom lies. And he says, one day, lad, all this will be yours. And the son replies, what, the curtains? (laughs) For us, I think, when we think of this blessing, we can think of it too narrowly. Our inheritance of the earth is, is not a small thing. It's not a real estate transaction. It's an inheritance of a place where we experience the peace and belonging and the utter joy of being God, in God's presence eternally. Christ's kingdom, Christ's kingdom has come, and that is available to us even as we know we will experience it with a fullness that we cannot comprehend until Christ returns in his glory. And that is describing our flourishing as followers of Christ. And it comes from the quality of meekness, which, as I said, is not a personality trait. It's not something you can aspire to be in this sense any more than someone can aspire to be tall, however awesome that might be. (laughs) It is a quality of those who have received Christ and who follow him, and we are changed when that happens. Sometimes that transformation is referred to as being born again, and some people like that description, and some people are uncomfortable with that description, even though Jesus himself used it. I I think there's a sense sometimes where people, even other Christians, are wary of those who describe themselves as born again because they feel they're going to be sort of aggressively, um, you know, tried to be converted or changed in their theology or some way. But however we look at the concept of being born again, it is a correct metaphor from the transformation we undergo when we enter the with God life through Jesus. Our living response to our knowing that despite our brokenness, our sin, our deeply imperfect selves, God purchased our reconciliation with him at the cost of his son Jesus on the cross. Our response to that understanding, which deepens over time is to live and be transformed people. And an outward expression of that is meekness. It is the quality of exercising authority and strength that we have 
with self-control and mercy and using that power for others and for God. My sermon application then is that simply try to be more aware of all those circumstances and conversations where you're called upon to exercise authority and power and consider how very different acting with meekness is from acting with self-interest and unkindness even if the unkindness in your mind is justified. I am not suggesting that you consciously try to change your behavior or adopt a meek mindset. It's not a to-do list. I'm just inviting you to recognize those circumstances where you exercise power, and if you are a Christ follower, consider whether you find yourself exercising that power differently as an outward expression of your faith. If you're not a follower of Jesus, or if you're considering what following, following him means, and by the way, it's great that you're here, I just invite you to simply reflect on your use of your own power to interact with the world around you. Think about the words you use. A large part of my own faith story concerns how my interactions with the world and with people have changed. And I'm not saying that I'm the embodiment of Christ-like meekness. Um, but I do know that I engage people and the world differently as compared with before I would consider myself a follower of Jesus. And it's not, it's not a conscious thing. It's not a matter of um, thinking, well, as a follower of Jesus, what would I say in this situation? It's, it's not that. It's a natural transformation that's taken place. And usually so subtly you can't even detect it happening. As my understanding of my own salvation has deepened and hopefully continues to deepen, I can't help but be changed in how I interact with others. That's a lot to think about. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it's, it's, it's difficult to grasp our changing through following you, even though we can see the evidence of it. We can feel it in ourselves. Even as it's not something we set out to do or consciously do, it's something you're doing with us. That is humbling, that is amazing. 
thank you for that, Lord. And continue to work in all of us. Amen.